Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. They have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu blinks it back. And I've got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. Hello everybody, first House of Champions of 2023, welcome, welcome, welcome. We've got Nigel Ryokoka, we've got Heath Pierce, and we are delighted to be ringing in the new year with you. Remember to smash that like button and subscribe if you don't do so already. And we're going to be picking through the best from the weekend's action shortly. All right, everybody, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Nigel, how are you doing, my friend? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. I'm great. Thank you very much. Uh, Spending great time with family and friends and uh, taking my three little munchkins to, to get baptized today as well. So it was a great day today. Oh, congratulations. Lovely stuff. Heath, great to have you back on. How are you doing, my friend? Is uh, 2023 treating you well so far? Yeah, I started a puzzle today. I didn't get, I, I mean, it's hard to go after Nigel. He's baptizing his kids. Where am I supposed to go with here? Like, I haven't, uh, haven't done, I haven't, I haven't done anything bad today. The kids have been pretty good and uh, I started a puzzle. So, like, really off to a flying start this year. I don't know if I'll finish it, but uh, TBD. Oh man, exciting times. Uh, well, I can tell you guys, I was nursing a sore head, eating pizza on the sofa for the majority of the day. So I guess it's kind of how the 1st of January is supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. Heath, that means that he was drinking a lot of wine and had some cheese and then he had some cognac. So yeah. he was doing the French yeah. thing and trying to make us feel bad about ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He was, of course, he, he, but he was just, just, after, just after midnight, I did raise a toast in your honor, Nigel. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's my boy. That's my boy, JJ. That's why we get along very well. JJ, before we get into the weekend uh, in in review, do you want to maybe give a few words that you had said about Nigel uh, during that that toast? Just any, you remember anything specifically you said just after midnight? Yeah, I do. You I say, like, I say, are you allowed to use those words on the show? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have to give you like a redacted version, okay. but yeah, it was pretty much along the lines of I can't believe that the first thing I'm gonna do in 2023 is doing the podcast with Nigel, which is why we put the call out to Heath and he came in like a knight in shining armor to bail me out. No, I'm joking. I couldn't think of any better way to ring in the new year than with you guys here on House of Champions. So let's get into it and we will go over the weekend's action because it's a lot of stuff to talk about. And obviously 
as a Villa fan, I'm feeling pretty smug after we got the win over Spurs. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. But we will start with Heath Pierce's beloved Gunners, who go seven points clear at the top of the Premier League. Uh, big, big weekend uh, in terms of the, the title race. Obviously, Manchester City as well, uh, dropping points at home to Everton. So that opened up a big opportunity for Arsenal. And they they took that chance. You, you're happy with the results and the, the performance, Heath? Because I felt coming into that one that Arsenal were either going to respond one of two ways it was either going to be you know go out all guns blazing get the result they needed i mean they got the early gold as well through uh through saka uh or they were going to wilt under that pressure knowing that they had that massive opportunity in front of them with uh you know city dropping points but uh you know they really seized it uh you know they're look they're sitting pretty at the moment at the top of the pile yeah, I mean, even going back to, again, uh, the West Ham game where it wasn't the, the the greatest of starts, but they're just finding ways to get results. Now, when you look at it, statistically, they could they play, they obviously still have to play City twice. They can lose both of those games and still be in control of their destiny. Unfortunately, it's not ever as easy as that, right? And they've got a very difficult schedule uh, coming up uh, next up with, with Newcastle. And I think it's three, three of those teams are top six teams. You have Newcastle, Spurs, and I can't remember what the other one was um, on that list. Maybe it's Man United. Uh, that they've got to play um, coming up, and so it's not going to be an easy run. But I'm happy with the way that they're 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 playing right now. I I think there's just been a giant shift again over time of of not needing to yeah they're scoring wonderful goals and they're scoring you know they're they're getting production across the board, but they're not trying to walk the ball in, which is the classic sort of stereotypical Arsenal style, and it's working right now. And so obviously uh, we're seeing uh, coming out of this long break, you never know how teams are going to respond, and I think Arsenal looked very very dialed in, and, and with other teams seemingly willing to drop points or be in positions late in games to to give up points i think it it, it actually starts to increase my my confidence in their ability to hold on to this title yeah it's going to be quite interesting heath i think for me what i've seen in arsenal like you said is they've really found the a will to win and they're getting the results they're grinding out results and that's what championship teams are made of i think for me i'm really interested and intrigued to see when they face newcastle or manchester united i think you're looking at now with manchester united I see Eric Entag really putting his footprint now and stamping his authority on Manchester United, a resurgent Manchester United, a team that I think could be very scary if the Manchester United hierarchy do support this manager him in what he wants to do and the players he wants to bring to that club. And we look at Newcastle. Newcastle, another club right now that I feel are the real dark horse and dark contenders in this Premier League title. I feel that Newcastle and Arsenal game... It's going to be a really big game to decide whether Arsenal can truly go all the way. Seven points for me, in my opinion, is not a big enough points gap. Not with how competitive that we're seeing the Premier League become recently and with the teams that are in and around Arsenal and the teams competing for that Premier League title with so many games still to come and yet we're still not going to see the full effect of the World Cup and players' reaction from the World Cup for at least another couple of weeks. But... I give credit to Mikel Arteta. You've got to give credit when credit's due. He really is building a real championship-winning mentality at this Arsenal team with the squad of players that he has currently. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And uh, it, it's interesting as well that you mentioned we, we're talking about United being a potentially key fixture for Arsenal because, you know, United are suddenly climbing into, uh, you know, the Champions League places and the reckoning. Uh, you know, we saw them losing to, to Unai Emery's Villa, uh, you know, a couple of uh, months ago. And then suddenly, you know, United have gone on this tear of form since, looking very good since uh, coming back from the, the World Cup break. Uh, suddenly you've got Ten Hag, uh, you know, making some big decisions. You've got Rashford. Uh, 
you know, that him sort of paying off, playing that cameo role uh, in the last match. So it's, you know, it kind of feels like this is two sides going into it with real, uh, you know, momentum. Uh, and it feels like, you know, this one could be, you know, if Arsenal... It kind of feels like if Arsenal get through that run of games, if you're looking at it, you've got Newcastle at home, Oxford away, uh, Tottenham away, and then Man United at home. If you know if Arsenal can come through that run, you know I guess at least unbeaten, you could probably say, uh, you know, then I think their title chances, you know, must feel pretty uh, enhanced afterwards. What do you make of this improved Manchester United side, Nigel? I think it's great. I really do. And the thing that Eric Antag is doing is he's sticking to his principles. You know, he's showing that he's an authoritarian manager in the sense of that discipline plays plays a key factor. I think it takes big courage and guts for a manager to drop Marcus Rashford for the fact that he was late. But if he's a manager that's going to run on discipline and keep that structure of discipline within the group and get the respect of all the players, he handled that in the best way possibly so. He dropped Marcus Rashford for being late, not being on time, He's sticking to his guns. And obviously, we know the situation with Cristiano Ronaldo and how he handled that. And I think that will just generate a tremendous amount of respect from that Manchester United dressing room. And I feel that the more they continue to play, the more they really, you can see something great could be achieved and be built at Manchester United. They're not playing amazing, fantastic football. But what they're doing is they're bringing that old nostalgia of Manchester United of old, finding a way to win, grinding out results. It just reminds me of Alex Ferguson's Manchester United. They're not always going to play fantastic football. In the big games, they can turn up and they will turn up and do it. But they're grinding out results because Wolves would have looked at as a potential banana stick for this Manchester United side. And I think that, again, my thing, Jonathan, is it's more about the support that he'll get from the owners. If they really can actually see what he's doing with this club right now currently, are they really going to support him fully? And I think that in most recent comment, the one comment that I like the most, guys, is the fact of he said that Manchester United need to get the right striker. So this isn't a manager that just wants to get a striker for the sake of getting a striker. He wants to get the right striker that fits into what he's currently building Manchester United. Yeah, and the, the other thing I wanted to say, and, and not to put too much comparison to Sir Alec Ferguson because you really can't, but it was more so what I like about the situation that they're in right now is Rashford gets his, his suspension. Could have been, uh, it was semi sort of semi private. Rashford comes out and says, sort of says why. And then they move on from it. And he comes out and he shows the performance. And I think that that only happens when a locker room is on the same page, right? It only happens when a player comes out and speaks. The, 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 the coach creates the accountability. The player responds well on the pitch. And that's when you know you have a locker room that's buying into a, a system. It's buying into a belief. There's no egos above that. And I'm, granted, it's an isolated incident. But when you look at the way that they're playing, the fight that they have collectively, you see the fact that it's not always it's it's not always um, perfect in a locker room. Mistakes happen. Uh, things happen in the locker room. But the fact is that he oversleeps, arrives late to to a meeting, uh, has to pay the price for that. That's Ten Hag setting a new accountability, perhaps in the past or other managers since for Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson didn't know how to handle that or didn't handle that in a certain way. And now you're seeing that accountability build. And that's how you build a culture for the long term. And so those little tiny things that we're seeing as they continue to get results and they continue to hold each other, uh, both manager and players and players within themselves to a higher standard, that's only going to bode well for the long term for this team. I've got a question for you guys. Obviously, we know that Manchester United and Liverpool both were in for Gapco. And then Gapco ended up going to Liverpool. How much of an influence do you think a previous Dutch manager 
who hasn't had many pleasant words to say about Manchester United since leaving, played a part in Gapco choosing Liverpool over Manchester United? It's a good question. I mean, it's interesting as well because if you cast if we cast our minds back to when Ten Hag was umming and ahhing about whether to take the United job, you know, Van Gaal was actually quite public in saying that he didn't think it would be a smart move, uh, you know, for for Ten Hag, uh, a manager that you know you know that he rated highly or rates highly, uh, you know, because he didn't feel that United's approach, uh, you know, to 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 running the club uh you know was was worthy of the institution that Manchester United is both uh, you know as a premier league club but also uh, as a european giant and i think uh you know ten hag is now starting to prove uh you know van hal a bit wrong obviously the change behind the scenes at the club as well or the potential change in the future with the change in ownership uh, you know that could also uh you know sort of clean up the club in terms of the atmosphere uh you know and certainly sort of take things more you know back to basics and put more emphasis back on what's happening on the pitch. But, you know, I think as well, uh, you know, for, for Gakpo, when you've got, you know, clubs like Manchester United, clubs like Liverpool, uh, you know, in for you, and you've got two very, very persuasive coaches in Ten Hag and Klopp, you know, sort of courting you, you know, I think it's it's quite easy to sort of buy into what Klopp has managed to to build at Liverpool over the years, and that's not really any slight on what Ten Hag is trying to build, uh, you know, right now. Uh, and I think, you know, perhaps it speaks volumes about how persuasive Klopp was that Gakpo has snubbed the opportunity to to join his his fellow countrymen uh, at Old Trafford uh, and go to Anfield instead. Yeah, I think I, you know, my my only response to that is is you know because I fully agree with what JJ said is is Again, that that what I think Klopp has shown is that um, rotate generational rotation since he's been there of that who's the next player, right? The building blocks are in place, and I think we've seen these giant waves of Manchester United signings where it's four or five guys that are going to solve the problems, and they don't solve the problems, right? It's just still a systemic issue that's lying beneath the surface somewhere, and I think that's a really scary uh, proposition for anybody to think about, right? And if you're heading in, especially. Uh, w- when you're in the winter time and, and you're trying to figure out budgets are small, you have players that will be surplus to requirements come summertime, all these kinds of things that are happening that Liverpool seem to be the best bet for, for a player like him to know, okay, I can fit into this lineup or I can at least compete to get into this lineup. And the next step is where are all the other pieces coming from? And obviously Liverpool, I think, have a much more established team um, with the culture that's been established as well. So I think it's, it's hard to really know what those conversations were, what the recru- recruiting processes were to get him to choose Liverpool. Um, over United, but um, that that were, that's my two cents on that. Guys, keep the comments coming in, please. There's been some great stuff uh, flowing in from the the likes of Rafa, uh, you know, and, uh, and and all the regulars. So please, uh, you know, keep your comments coming for both Nigel and Heath. We will move on though and uh, look at the rest of the Premier League results at the weekend. And Villa winning two 0 away at Tottenham. So Spurs losing again. You've got Harry Kane sort of still missing, uh, you know, post World Cup, uh, and you've now got the the possibility. I mean, certainly reading some of the comments post game. You know that maybe people are starting to tire of Antonio Conte in and around uh, Spurs. Nigel, I'm going to come to you first. What did you? What first of all? What did you make of the game? Because obviously, uh, as an ex-Villa player, I hope you've got some positive words for Unai Emery's uh, Claret and Blue Boys as well. But from a Spurs point of view, surely that's worrying. I mean, you've got them what now dropping? Uh, is it five points? Uh, you know, in the last two games because they yeah they drew with Brentford. Well, first off, I'm going to pick up my mate Ashley Young. I think he's been absolutely tremendous. And for the age that he's at and what he's doing, he really is priceless to that Villa dressing room. Um, 
No, it's a great performance. You know, we, we talked about Unai Emery coming to Aston Villa and I don't think it's going to be anything like his first experience with Arsenal. He's come in there and I think he's learned a lot from his experience at Arsenal. And um, I think that Villa are a team that really could do some great things. And again, it's about backing the manager. I feel what he's done with the current players that he's got there, without really being able to bring his type of players, you know, the players that he really wants to bring at the club, it's like night and day, the transformation. The performances, the belief in the players, the attitude, the organisation, the the tactical um, cuteness of it and how Villa play, um, the approach to the game. There seems to be a great belief in and out of that whole squad from players that are playing, players on the bench. There really does. I think it's a fantastic start so far and long may it continue. And um, I think Unai Emery really can achieve some great stuff at Aston Villa. And I think the difference is as well is without being disrespectful to JJ's team and my ex-team, the expectations aren't quite as there as what he was under the pressure at Arsenal when he first took over Arsenal. Um, for me, with Tottenham, you're worried. Uh, you really are worried now. And I think that if Tottenham were to change management or look to get rid of Antonio Conte, I don't think there'll be many people who moan. Because it's, it's, it's been a very long season now, halfway through the season, and I've yet to see Tottenham play a fantastic 90 minutes game worth of football. They turn it on most of the time in the second half. 45 minutes isn't good enough. They've come back with some great results, getting some great draws. But for where Tottenham want to be and where they see themselves competing, it needs to be 90 minutes worth of football. And even with the football itself, it hasn't been great to watch. It has been a typical Antonio Conte fashion, very negative in the sense, deep defensive, try and play that counter-attacking press football. And it just really seems it hasn't really evolved from the style of management that he's got and whether the players look so drained. And I think that Tottenham will be one team that do suffer a lot from this World Cup break with a lot of inconsistent results. Yeah, and the thing that I add to that as well is is I think the only saving grace is the fact that Spurs have only dropped out of the top four this weekend because of Man United's win and their inability to get the results. So I think they're still very much in in the, in the race for what I think is a successful season, right? Top four finish, Champions League position. Uh, but I agree with you, Nigel, that that it doesn't feel comprehensive in any way. And even if you look at Arsenal, when Arsenal have poor matches, they still get the most of the 20 minutes that they're really good or the 30 minutes or like the 10 minutes they get that vulnerability in a team. You see them smack a team back. And when I go back to um, Spurs before the, the World Cup break, they clawed their way back into that win over Leeds. Uh, and I thought this might be a turning point, right? A little bit of that fight. And, and yes, we know that they're, they're, they're very much the team that likes to go down and then fight their way back into matches. But I thought maybe this would kick into something. And then you have this long break and you don't know how teams are going to come back that I do worry about that momentum, the fatigue of the players, a number of World Cup players that didn't necessarily come back in the happiest of ways, uh, just natural fatigue. And then obviously for Conte, at what point is the project uh, complete for him or, or or as far as he can take it? So I think we're definitely at a at a, at a difficult period for, for Spurs in terms of where they're going to go next because it doesn't seem like anything's going right. Again, the, the, the saving grace to that is that they're very much in the thick of things and not necessarily hit falling down the mid table and having to fight their way back up. Yeah. Speaking do of, do you things. really think that? I was going to say, JJ, quickly, Heath. Do you really think that Tottenham could finish in the top four with the recent performances that you've seen from them now? But also, let's talk about Antonio Conte. You know how animated he is as a manager on the touchline. Mm-hmm. Even the levels of animation that he's shown now has kind of been very subdued recently. Yeah. 
There's definitely there's definitely a lack of that animation. Definitely some frustrations that you can see coming there with with more of that silence than anything. And I don't think there's a top four finish there. I think right now they they have the ability. It's good to kind of weather a storm, knowing that you're still in the mix of everything. But you have a, a Liverpool side that we know are going to get the points that they they're going to get more points in the second half of the season than they did in the first half of the season. So they're going to climb. Then you have uh, Newcastle United, who like you just mentioned, as a dark horse. People expect uh, a non traditional top four top six to, to fall their way out but they don't look by any means like they're going to be falling yes they gave up points to to, to to leads over the weekend but they look like a team that could also be pushing one of the big big four out of that position as well so I think it's going to be a difficult run it's just that as of right now they're sitting on 30 points um you know I guess that's four points out of out of uh out of third place Newcastle but most of those teams uh in those top four positions also have a game in hand so I, I don't like the odds but it's it's still one of those things that they do have the quality at least they could go on a run of matches but I, it's just hard for me to think about the way that they're playing put that against the fact that a man united's in top form right now liverpool are rounding in into form newcastle are in top form and to think about those two things together it's it's difficult for me to picture a situation where that happens yeah, speaking of being at a, a an important juncture in their season as well, you've got Chelsea now uh, dropping points against Nottingham Forest. It's been a far from ideal start to life for, for Graham Potter. Uh, you know, they drew 1-1 against Nottingham Forest, as I said. Uh, you know, Nigel, are you... You're starting to get concerned for for Chelsea. I mean, you know, you look at that uh, that league table at the moment. They're certainly not where they would have expected to be. You know, they're still signing players left, right, and center, dropping crazy amounts of money, and this still doesn't really seem to be, uh, you know, like a strategy behind their thinking. Uh, you know, do do you think that Chelsea's performances on the pitch are perhaps reflecting the fact that there isn't a clear idea uh, from the Chelsea leadership of where they want to go with the club? You know what? I'm going to let Heath start with this, JJ. I'm going to let Heath have the floor and I'm going to jump on after. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's not an ideal scenario and they don't, it's not going to get any easier for them in terms of their strength of schedule, right? They've got uh, Man City uh, coming up on Thursday. They've got, uh, then they've got Man City again in the FA Cup. They got Fulham twice in, uh, in the next few weeks and they've got Liverpool. And so there's not really a period where you get to the training ground at this time, especially considering you're coming off the World Cup and you've got an incredibly busy schedule for the rest of the year. There's not a lot of training ground time to work on things, to improve things, to really make things happen. And Chelsea still, it still goes back to me that I, I don't, I, I, outside of Lukaku, who I thought would be an answer, Chelsea have not had that striker that they've needed for a long time. Somebody that you know is going to get one chance and put them away. Now that's a dream scenario for every club to have a player of that caliber, but the way in which Chelsea have spent and continue to spend, you would think there would be an emphasis on trying to solve that problem. I don't think it's Havertz. I don't think it's 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 Sterling. I don't think it's Pulisic. I think they're all great players. I think they're great in their their rotation. But there's not one player right now that I can look at at that Chelsea uh, attack that says on an average day or on an above average day or on a below average day we're going to have somebody or one person that we know that's going to deliver for us and get us three points. What about Nkunku? Obviously, he's lined up now, so that could potentially be a game changer for them in that sense, assuming that he can still play the same kind of role or position in the team that he had at uh, RB Leipzig. But Nigel, uh, coming to you now, what, what do you make of this uh, Chelsea situation at the moment? Is it something that you expect Potter to be able to turn around in the next couple of weeks? Or do you think it's simply a question of trying to salvage what he can from this season uh, and then, you know, trying to rebuild properly over the summer uh, and get some, you know, sort of actual like strategy in terms of, uh, you know, the players that Chelsea are bringing in for him to be able to build with them. 
Hey, Jay Heath, let's be brutally honest. Chelsea right now are an absolute mess. They're a mess in the sense of lack of direction, lack of real identity, and that shows in also the performances. I'm a big fan of Graham Potter. I want Graham Potter to do well. But at the same time, Graham Potter knew what he was getting into when he took this Chelsea job. And for me still, I have not seen a significant amount of improvement since he's taken over. But I disagree with you, Heath, in the sense of he's had a period during the World Cup break to be able to really impose a bit of an identity in this Chelsea side of yeah, what but you want Nigel, to, that's a bit. I mean, look, these guys have uh, six players. players. They have six players when they're when they're. I mean, it's hard without the the, the training grounds, right? You have. I, I was talking to somebody yesterday. True. Man, Man City. Man City had five players in the club during the World Cup. Okay, that's right. Man City. But, but, but Chelsea, Chelsea didn't have Chelsea every is, single one of them. They still have a lot of young players who didn't really go yeah. anywhere. And for what he's trying to do and install, I just think that he's had a bit of time. And I still feel, even before the World Cup, Heath, I just don't see it. I really don't see it. And what makes it worse for me, Heath, is the fact of you look at the players that Chelsea are being linked with. It reminds me of basically the start of Abramovich area. Any player that was being talked about in a glowing ray in world football, Chelsea wanted to buy them. We're seeing the mm -hmm. same thing. They're being linked with Fernandez right now and McAllister. What are Fernandez and McAllister going to do in this Chelsea team? Right about now, one of their biggest concerns is putting the ball in the back of the net and creating chances and scoring goals. They're not doing that, but they're not being linked with a striker to show that there actually is planning a structure. It's let's get players that everyone is talking about right now in world football that other teams want to get without realising what they've done. They've already recruited two or three young players in centre midfield. So why would you try and go after Fernandez and McAllister when you spent so much money on other players already? Aubameyang was bought before... Graham Potter, no problem. Why do you buy a Bamiyang and sack the manager who wanted him two days later? And now you've got a Bamiyang earning great money, sitting on the bench at Chelsea and not making the starting lineup. It's an absolute mess right now, in my opinion, of what I see at Chelsea Football Club. I think they're trying to recreate the Abramovich era in going after superstars, but they're doing it the complete wrong way without having the real plan and the structure. The game has moved on since we had the first billionaire takeover of a football club and buy the world's best players and treat it like it was nothing. There's too much competition at that level now when you've got the likes of Manchester City, Liverpool, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, all able to compete at that level now. And I just think that for me, Graham Potter is under pressure. I can't see, and you should know more than me anyway, Heath, being American, you know these American owners are in there for the money and for the business. They're not going to give him the time or two or three years to build something and to structure something. And I'm just going to add one more thing. People like to compare to say, look at what Mikel Arteta did at Arsenal, the time he was given to what he's doing now at Arsenal. There's a difference with being at Chelsea. Chelsea recently won the Champions League. Chelsea have been competing and playing in the top four and competing for Premier League titles. Arsenal didn't have that kind of pressure. Arsenal has been in the rebuilding phase and it's only now that Mikel Arteta has brought Arsenal to the levels of where they should have been years ago. Yeah, the only thing I'd, 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 I'd respond to that is that I, I agree with you. I think that Abramovich-era transfer policy was great, then it was over the top and became the sort of the loan policy of bringing in all these players and hoping one or two of them work out. But uh, it is an issue with the American ownership group. I think Bully is heavily involved. It reminds me of just the old school Italian owners that do the press conferences after the game. He seems to be worked into. We actually have a good point here from Matt that Bully thinks getting involved in every transfer story is a good strategy. Um, uh, 
yeah, it's 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 a complicated one because you have new manager, you have players that are left over that aren't from that manager's area, you have new ownership group, and so making all of that harmonious takes a very long time, and I just don't know which one of those dominoes falls first. Right, guys, keep those comments coming in. We're going to take a short break, and then after that, we're going to come back and we're going to move on to what's been going on on the continent over the last couple of days. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to House of Champions, everybody. And if you're an American soccer fan that follows the Stars and Stripes, then make sure to check out another great pod in the CBS Sports Podcast family. In Soccer We Trust, former USMNT Stars, Jimmy Conrad, Heath Pierce, who's with us right now, and Charlie Davies, previewing and reacting to every US match with a perspective that only they can offer. Download and subscribe to the In Soccer We Trust podcast anywhere that you find this one. And don't miss Monday's In Soccer We Trust special as the guys welcome and Fabrizio Romano for a CONCACAF transfer-focused episode. All right, guys, let's get back into it. We've got Nigel and Heath here with me. Uh, let's take a look at Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, big money move. Obviously, he's now moved to Saudi Arabia. Uh, plenty of people weighing in with their opinions. We'd love to hear what you guys have got to say as well. So jump, in, jump into the comments. Heath, Heath's obviously a bit worried about this uh, uh, about this chat getting heated. So uh, it's, all, uh, it's all up to Nigel now. So Nigel, does CR7 deserve more respect than he's getting? Or do you think he used up all his credit with all of the, you know, the silly behavior in and around the World Cup and, uh, you know, the petulance that we've seen from him in the last few months at Manchester United before that ugly split? I think Heath left us, JJ, first of all, because Ronaldo didn't go to the MLS and went over to Saudi Arabia. That might be an issue. But anyway, we'll, we'll let him... I mean, I mean, sorry guys, I had to, I had to fix my Clint Dempsey uh, sick t-shirt I got going on in the background right now. So it was, it was leaning over. So I jumped off real quick, but I'm back. I have no hey, idea what happened actually. Every, well, literally well, everything just shut off. We, we I, were, I we were like, debating whether you jumped off because you were sulking that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo decided to go to Saudi Arabia instead of coming yeah. to MLS. What did you make of those Kansas City rumors? Uh, I mean, it, I, I like the I like the idea of it. I mean, if you remember 10 years ago or whatever, when Robert Pierce was like, why would I go to a place like Philadelphia? It's like a little small town and people had to like remind him that 
that it's like a four million person city and it's an actually a big city and there's tons of things and plenty to do. But that was sort of the mentality. But when you think about Kansas City, I don't know how real that is. Honestly, I probably should have done more homework on how legitimate that was. I mean, I'm sure there was some legitimacy to conversations, but I can't see him sort of wandering down in the Midwest to to grab some barbecue and and uh, play his local ball. There's no disrespect to, to sporting KC, but it's uh, I think there's a period in every career, and and maybe Nigel's mentioned this, or maybe he feels differently that that you have the right to to go and get what you feel that you you deserve. I think he is. I think that move to Manchester United and it not working out. Um, opened his eyes to the fact that he's past his best and that for him to be his best, he still needs people around him to play around him, to play him into the best positions possible. And this will get him um, the bag, so to speak, you know, for lack of a, a better term. It's not for the quality. It's not for anything other than the fact that uh, Saudi Arabia is skyrocketing in terms of their um, in terms of their plans as a country and what they're going for for World Cups in terms of what they want to do on the global stage in terms of being a, a more progressive nation different than they were even five years ago. I think that's all fits into their national plans. But for him personally, I mean, it's a, it, I, I go back to one quick thing. And I'll make this uh, briefer than my monologue I'm, I'm, I'm doing now. But the uh, Michael Bradley, who played for the U.S. Men's National Team, a son of Bob Bradley, he was a player. He was my roommate for a long time. He was a player that I said, this guy cannot be bought. And I, I'd say, I can be bought. You can buy me. No matter what club I was at, you were going to be able to buy me. At a certain point, that money hits a certain level, and you go, that is life-changing, right? And Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't need life-changing money. But that's the idea of somebody saying a billionaire doesn't want to make another billion, right? Like, there is, a, there is just a constant chase of of financial security generational wealth those types of things that when an offer comes at that level and i don't think mls would have gone anywhere near what he's going to be getting there you have to take it michael bradley was one i say that because he took that 50 million dollar deal to go to toronto fc after sort of coming off the bench at roma and you're like wow this was a massive leap from what he was making to this and i don't think he was at the end of his career in terms of what he was chasing ambition wise but the money came and he took it and i so i believe that everybody has their price is what i'm getting at and uh, that price was 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 right for him. So I can't really knock him for that, though. I would have loved to have seen him um, playing in Major League Soccer. I think when you look at this, JJ and Heath, it's, it's a situation where you've got to think about it hard in the sense of, I think from when I look at Cristiano Ronaldo, we already know how competitive he is. He's an absolute competitive beast. And what he's achieved in football in his career, no one can say anything about it. You know, five-time Ballon d'Or winner, the leagues and the titles he's won, everything that he's done in the game, great. I think the difficult thing in this situation is recently what's happened in the sense of the interview at Manchester United, that didn't go down too well. And obviously the, the situation, the reaction of the World Cup, that didn't go down too well. I think those two situations played the biggest part in why probably Cristiano ended up in Saudi Arabia. It's nothing new. We've seen top players who played at his level where Cristiano is one of the greats of the game, top 1%, towards the end of their career, they get their big money move. And I want any player who's played a game at any professional level to tell me, with achieving everything that Cristiano Ronaldo has achieved already, the stage that he's at right now would turn down that deal and that offer from Saudi Arabia. And I'll tell you a liar right in front of your face. Because any player that said they would turn that down is lying to your face. Because we've seen players go for way less in way worse places and let's be real about it it's about the money this move for Cristiano Ronaldo is about the money and I understand from Saudi Arabia's perspective they're trying to build up the league 
and they're trying to do things differently and, you know, trying to create an environment where they feel that they can grow football. But it's hard to speak negative about it because of the sense of what he's already achieved in his career and going for this big money move is something we've seen other players do before. I just think that it's just a lot that we've seen recently with all the press, the interview at Manchester United, the shenanigans at the World Cup. That's what's made it difficult for him. I don't feel if any of those things came out, he probably would have had better options to go to Europe and to stay in Europe to be as competitive as he still wants to be. But I feel that the, the, the press and the situation that happened at Manchester United played a big part in why this move materialized. I, I also think that he had uh, he had uh, some lingering legal issues in the U.S. too that we know about um, with with a case that was closed and a case that reopened and things like that that make life probably pretty difficult uh, in the U.S. And the other thing that I would say is I've talked to a number of the the quote unquote legends that have come to play in Major League Soccer, and most of them really struggle with the adaptation to being at the highest, most intense environment and coming to an environment where people think differently, the thought process is differently, the competitiveness is differently, and then having to live that constantly. You know, even even Thierry Henry, who I've talked to a number of times about it, said even to his last day playing in Major League Soccer, he struggled with the mentality side of this is very different. You know, this is not a bunch of people playing at the highest level, competing, giving everything they have. Some people are, but some aren't. And, and I think people really struggle with being able to leave that at the office and 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 not allowing that to affect their quality of life. What let about me the travel though as well? Yeah. Well, let, let me add to that, Heath. I, I fully agree with you. You know what it's like when you're in a dressing room, you lose a game and some of your teammates go, it's okay, we'll get it next week. And you lose a game and it's, oh, it's okay, we'll get it next week. And you lose a game and it's, oh, we'll get it next week. It's like, no, we won't get it next week. Like you need to have that mentality now. And I've been in that type of dressing room the way I really wanted to fight a couple of my teammates. But, it's like what he said. It's a different mentality. It's a different culture. There isn't no promotion and relegation. So some players get very comfortable. And some players, when you're training with them as your teammates, you really want to two-foot them in training, put a rocket up their ass. Don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for that. Sorry, Des. <laughs> that's, unlike, that's unlike you, Nigel, to have been in a dressing it's room somewhere, me, somewhere, in the, somewhere in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of our long-time listeners will be delighted by that quote. That's already uh, popped up on their uh, 2023 House of Champions bingo. <laughs> Let's move it on to La Liga now. So Barcelona dropped points. Um, we have uh, Mr. Lauer's. Picking up where he left off, 15 cards handed out. But I guess the big question, especially based on the result now, uh, you know, is is surrounding Xavi. I'm going to come to you first, uh, Heath. Obviously, uh, you know, this being the the Barcelona derby, Barcelona <laughs> take the lead and end up getting pegged back. But yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you you look you look at that disarray in terms of the the the, the cards handed out. Uh, you know, but is this, you know, is it, is this a game perhaps where we, you know, should be, you know, looking into, into, into Xavi's, uh, you know, sort of conduct position, uh, or should we not read too much into it because it was just, you know, the referee going off on a crazy one. I, I think I saw somebody tweet at one point that he even dished out a no look yellow card where he literally just showed the card <laughs> without looking who he was, uh, brandishing it towards, which, you know, would not be surprising given what we saw from, uh, Mr. Lowers in, uh, in, in Qatar. But, uh, you know, is this obviously, you know, we can't read too much into it in terms of sort of Barca's position in the in the league table right now. But there has been this kind of like nagging feeling, uh, you know, that maybe Xavi is, I mean, I'm not going to necessarily say that he's been, he's in over his head, but, you know, maybe he's bitten off a little bit more than he can chew. I mean, maybe because of his time at uh, Al Saad when uh, developing all those Qatari players that didn't end up performing all that well as a 
as a as a national team in the World Cup. That might be the thing bothering him uh, deep down. But no, I think look, I, they they were twenty plus shots on goal. They had a, a great uh, xG in this match. Um, I, I I think that. I was reading somewhere that it was like last August or something like that was the last time that they'd put up more than 20 shots uh, or maybe not shots on target, but 20 shots uh, that they, they, and they didn't get all three points. So uh, for me, that just, just unfortunate. We've seen that actually with Bayern Munich quite a bit this year. Same thing of just similarly being uh, uh, dominant matches in terms of creating goal scoring opportunities and then not converting and having to take a deep look at it and say, is there something deeper here? And obviously Bayern has continued to struggle with some of those things along the way. You thought it was, Jan Summer breaking the record in, in, in the Bundesliga for saves in a match. But yeah, um, I don't think there's too much to look into it right now, but ask me again in a couple of weeks and, and I might feel differently. They're co-joined well, top of the table, they, by the way, so it's not bad. I know, but I think for me, Heath and JJ, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Barcelona, flatter to deceive, play great football, beautiful football to watch at times, lack that knockout punch. And that's the same thing I still see with this Barcelona side. And when they do face teams at the same level and caliber as they seem to be, the likes of Champions League and talk about Bayern Munich, um, Inter Milan, they don't get the results. So I think for me that it's the same old Barcelona and it's going to take a while for them to really be able to get this hurdle to be back where they used to be. And they don't plan to be active in the transfer window from what I understand either. So that's another another thing of either like a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure which way to look at that, but yeah. Well, I mean, they couldn't have been more active uh, in the summer one just gone. So uh, ni- nice to know that they're going to pump the brakes a little bit for uh, for, for this one. But uh, moving from Barca to Real Madrid, and Nigel, I wanted to get your your thoughts on this quickly. Obviously, Real beat Valladolid, but it was soured a bit by Vinicius calling out La Liga's inaction over racist abuse. I'm just going to read out a quote from him. Racists continue to go to stadiums and watch the biggest club in the world up close, and La Liga continues to do nothing. I will continue with my head held high and celebrating my victories and those of Madrid. In the end, it's my fault. What, what do you make of you know that kind of uh, comment and you know that sort of resignation uh, you know to, towards the league for you know allowing this to to continually happen? Uh, let's be real, JJ. La Liga give zero f's about that. That's the reality. If they really cared about the players being racially abused they would impose some real tougher fines and try and really clean it up. For me, it's sad to see Vinicius Junior doing that because he really plays football with a smile on his face, goes out there to express himself. And I thought for me, if I was Vinicius Junior, I'd be like, you know what? I've achieved good stuff at Real Madrid so far. I'll go and come to the Premier League. Now, I'm not saying England is perfect because England has its idiots as well. But the difference in England is you're less likely to face racial abuse in the stadium at the level that he's facing in La Liga and in England, it's just the keyboard gangsters you get on Instagram and social media and Twitter who are a bunch of idiots who have no friends and sit in the house in, in the corner of room in a dark so, room. So, you're, so your burner accounts, basically. Yeah. No, you keep telling us you're not on Twitter. That's not me. I'm not on Twitter. Some of your friends burner accounts, but not me. And I think it's embarrassing. I think it really is embarrassing for La Liga. I think it's very disappointing, especially yeah. considering we're in 2023 now. And this is one of the stars of your league one of the players that people probably do tune in to watch. So if he chooses to leave, it's going to be even more so embarrassing for them. And I think for me, if I was Vinicius Junior, that's something that I'll contemplate because he shouldn't have to go through that in 2023. 
Yeah, I fully agree. And and I think he's doing the right thing. I think other players as well and teams uh, within the league should be calling out the league. Uh, and you have to keep on doing that until it re- like it resounds from the from the mountaintops uh, and forces them to make decisions. Obviously, we've seen that before. We've seen there be all these types of stands. We've seen the captain's armbands. We've seen them hold signs before matches. We've seen all that sort of stuff. But until you start to have real world implications and and punishments and and sanctions to to teams, fines to teams, bans for play uh, for for fans, and all those types of things that are in the most extreme sense, because having to experience that is the most extreme. Uh, experience for 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 anybody uh it's just going to continue to 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 happen but i think the problem is as as nigel mentioned the league needs the money the league wants the revenue they don't want the problems and they're just going to keep on sweeping over this so it needs it needs to stop and and it sucks that i feel like i just had this conversation it was a couple of years ago and it's still a conversation that we're having to have now about what the reaction of a league should be or team should be in this type of environment. I mean, the, the club should be banning their fans. The league should be banning and finding the clubs and all kinds of things like that. And it's just not happening. Yeah, very disappointing. And obviously not the first time it's happened this season as well. You had him being abused by Atleti fans uh, back earlier in the season. Then you had, uh, you know, that uh, weird dancing uh, controversy as well, where where people were, uh, you know, suggesting that he shouldn't dance because it, uh, you know, incites too much uh, hatred towards him. Uh, let's move on to to Lee Yan, and uh, I know that uh, this will bring a smile to Nigel's face, given how often I, I speak so positively. My about face Lons, or but... your face? Oh, Lance, Lance. Say it with your French accent, Lance. Lance. Yeah, but PSG's unbeaten run now ended by Lance. Yes, you know, uh, a a club that I have been banging the drum for, uh, you know, for for at least the last couple of months. Uh, They go down 3-1. Absolutely deserved victory for for Lance. That that cuts the gap uh, at the top of the league a little bit. Sadly for Lens, they couldn't get the win in midweek against Nice, which might have brought them even closer to PSG. But they're within four points now. There we go. Uh, you know, people expecting me to now go on a, a massive uh, narrative about Lens. I mean, you know, I've said so much uh, about you know the the positivity around the club and what they're doing, and you know how Franquez is doing a, a fantastic job. So I'm going to make it a, a little bit more fun for for Nigel and uh, and Heath, and I'm going to turn this round a little bit. Now PSG have lost their unbeaten run. A couple of days after Benfica lose their unbeaten run. So I think that's now every single unbeaten run this season in the top five leagues over. Uh, I'm going to come to you first, Heath. Are you surprised, uh, you know, that these unbeaten streaks have, you know, sort of come just after the after the World Cup? I mean, obviously, you've got Napoli, who I think remain unbeaten in Serie A, but they have lost in the Champions League to Liverpool. So it's not quite the same record. But PSG and Benfica were unbeaten across all competitions. Those records are now out of the window. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, within the within the lineup uh, today for for PSG, you had uh, Marquinhos, uh, Hakimi, you had Mbappe, players that played significant minutes uh, in in the World Cup. I'm thinking who else may have, um, but I, I do think there's. I wouldn't necessarily uh, say it's due to fatigue within the team. It's just hard to those players that play at the biggest national teams for them, as well as just the losing the rhythm of a season, it's hard to get it back up and going. It's like having a second preseason where you've got to ramp it back up and shift your focus back to club ball. And it's not like, like you said, lawns who are, what what are they? Four points off the pace right now. And, and, and are legitimate outside shot at a, at a, at a title. It wasn't like it was a, an extreme blow, but a three, one, three, one loss has to say something um, beyond just the fact that they played another good team. We've seen them lose, uh, you know, before, obviously it's not the first time, but 
Uh, I'm wondering if there's something more to it. If it is a mix of, I'm wondering if it's a perfect storm that's brewing in terms of uh, Mbappe, in terms of Messi, in terms of in terms of uh, having to play at that level for another six, seven months coming off of a World Cup, all that type of stuff. If there's just something brewing within all of that, but yeah, I'm not surprised that it's all happening right after right after this break. Yeah, I second to what Heath has said there. 100% agree with Heath. I just think for me as well, I think what it shows for me, Heath, is it just shows how much um, how much of a big miss Messi and Neymar is to this PSG team. Mm-hmm. How heavily reliant they are on those two players. I think they make a big difference. As good as world-class as Mbappe is, Messi and Neymar are a big miss to this Paris Saint-Germain team. And I think we're going to be in for a lot more surprises as the games continue to go on after this World Cup. Hey, by the way, yes. uh, JJ, real quick, uh, Des, Des said, what's Sergio Ramos' excuse in our chat right now? But I got to say that is it, <laughs> he was snubbed. The World Cup snub. That's his excuse. He was snubbed from the roster. Okay. That's what, that's what broke his heart. Hey, don't jump on Des, our producers, talk about Sergio Ramos. Tell Des to worry about his team, Atletico Madrid. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's de- definitely, definitely an aspect of the, the Madrid rivalry to, uh, to that comment. And we've got well, they've got Barcelona Des, coming up. Des, Des so we'll clapping back there. about some yeah. win against Elche in the chat as well. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, that's pretty much all that we've uh, got time for. But we are back again tomorrow at uh, 9 a.m. ET as Fabrizio Romano gives us the latest January transfer window lowdown with a heavy emphasis on Arsenal's plans. Thanks so much to you guys for listening to House of Champions. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're also available as video. So subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Heath Pierce, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Always a pleasure to, to have you back on. Yes, Nigel's pointing at the uh, the invisible QR code, which isn't there today, but uh, you are nicely That's pointing to the House of Champions logo. So yes, uh, you know, keep everyone coming back and listening to uh, listening to all the shows. Final thoughts, guys. Heath, anything that you're particularly looking forward to coming up this week? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we are also going to have Fabrizio Romano, as you already mentioned, on, on our In Soccer We Trust show uh, tomorrow. That's Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So that'll be fun. We don't get a chance to talk to him that often. But with all the speculation of all these American players after the World Cup being linked to clubs, we just want to find out how legitimate some of these things are. But that's, that's, that's about it for me for now. And Nigel, anything you want to add? Anything you're looking forward to uh, this, uh, this coming week? I'm just looking forward to some more upsetting results happening in in the world of football. And I can't wait to see what happens next. We're still waiting for inevitable. You know, after this World Cup, there's going to be some real upside down results and it's going to start happening soon. Well, you know what I can't wait for? And that's your next anecdote about being in a locker room somewhere. That's all we've got time for, guys. Thanks to Nigel. Thanks to Heath. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.